I want to thank you for being here today uh, at Outward Church. I want to jump right in uh, as usual. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. It's a city. It's a big city. They have a lot of problems. Uh, they're a lot like us. Um, uh, I, I'm a lot like Corinth. You and I are both a lot like Corinth if you're a part of the church. And in some ways, the Apostle Paul is really speaking to these people that are in this church building. And uh, the way that this would apply to you if you're somebody who is not a part of the church, uh, but you've, you've kind of been a, an observer from the outside, and, and you have some opinions about what happens in the context of a, of a local gathering and in the church. You've heard, you've heard things. You've seen things. You know people that have been a part of, of churches and, and things of that nature. And so uh, in some ways, you may have criticism uh, towards uh, the church and towards uh, God's people that, that really is right, that is true in many ways. And in some ways, what I would say to you as somebody who, who may feel like an outsider, although we're so glad that you're here today, we want to make sure that you feel welcome, but what, what you need to know is that the scriptures actually speak against many of the things that you've, you're probably thinking of. Uh, many of the, the pridefulness and the arrogance and the way that churches have been run has not been according to the scriptures. And part of the reason uh, that the Apostle Paul says that this takes place is because people within the context of a local gathering in a church oftentimes bring in from the outside, uh, in, bring things from the outside into the church. And these are things that belong outside. They're not a part of the church because the church is actually a countercultural uh, organization. The, the church should be a group of people who are counterculturally oriented, meaning we, do, we should not be operating in the same way, not in a prideful or arrogant way, but in a way that, that brings about humility to our culture. But so many times this is the problem with local gatherings and with local churches is that we kind of pridefully think that what, what we think and what we feel matters the most and so we become demanding, arrogant, prideful, resentful, all of these things because somehow we think that we're better than everyone else because we've gone to church or something along those lines. And it's just really, it's not true. It's not true. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying to a group of people in a local gathering, and we as God's people, so those of us who are here who are part of the church, who are uh, engaged with the church and uh, on some level are, 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 are here with us, like you need to hear this uh, more than anybody today because it affects your witness within our culture. It affects how we operate as a church body. I've said this several times so far through this series, but I'm so thankful that we're going through this series, and yet it's so difficult because uh, in some ways I don't have uh, ready examples to, to use in my mind. I'm not preaching against anyone per se. I'm not preaching against anything in particular, but, but what's really helpful about this is that we're in a period of peace within the context of our church. Churches go through stages where there's infighting at times, and churches split and things fall apart, and it's really ugly and it's a horrible witness. But today, right here and right now, our church is very unified, and we're on mission together, as is witnessed by the, the, our THX event through um, 
through, uh, over Thanksgiving, and uh, many things like that, through Richmond Elementary, through our community groups, and the way that we're um, working to serve our local community. And so this is still for us, even though as of today, I don't know of any other examples, but maybe we're just waiting for some of these bad things to pop up in our local congregation. I hope that we are not. And so the Apostle Paul he is going, we're going to pick up here in chapter 4, verse 1, and this is what he says. He says, this is how one should regard us. And let me just stop right there. He's saying, he's saying this, this is how I want you to view the leaders of the church. This is how I want you to view me and Apollos and, and Peter and other people that might lead you. And the reason why he's about to say this, if you haven't been with us, is this, is that he's, he's saying to them, He's saying, you guys are fighting, you're creating division among you over which leader you think is the best. And, and I've, I've said this recently, I want to say it again, if you think that you don't suffer from this, you have another thing coming. All of us, on some level or another, have sinful tendencies towards pride and arrogance, towards our leader of choice, the person that we podcast, the person who we like to listen to. And there's division that takes place. And the ultimate example of this right now in our world is our political climate and the way that our country is devolving into uh, a very sad state of affairs when it comes to how people are fighting amongst themselves and saying, I follow this, this political leader, I follow that political leader, I'm, I'm in on this and I'm not on that. And so there's this infighting, but what Paul is saying is that this happens in the church as people say, I'm following this leader, I'm following that leader, and it creates division at the heart of these people. And so Paul is saying, this is wrong and it doesn't matter. And he says, instead of either putting someone up on a pedestal and, and saying, oh, they're the greatest and oh, I, I follow that person, or instead of demonizing another leader, this is how I want you to regard us. And he says, as servants of Christ." and stewards of the mysteries of God. And so what he says right there is the word there uh, could actually uh, mean under rowers. These are people who are, they're basically on God's ship and they're, and they're rowing for him. They're, they do what they're told. And so Paul reduces what the culture might think of him and he says, listen, I'm not some this great leader, even though he wrote half the New Testament, right? Uh, I, he is a great leader, but he's saying, I don't want you to view me that way. I don't want you to view me in that way. I told you last week that when you view your pastor or whoever it is at the church or the local elders as some type of superstar, you set them up for failure, when I view somebody as, as like my end all, my hero, I set them up for failure because eventually I'm, I'm going to build them up. I'm going to build them up. I'm going to say, man, they, they speak so well. It's so, it always speaks to my heart. He makes me want to cry. I know you say that about me every week, but he, he says, you know, I, I, this, this is who I love. And then when they fail you, they really fail you. And you, and you go, man, that guy is a jerk. A, a jerk? That's a combination of a jerk and a church. He's a jerk that goes to a church. Okay. So uh, that guy really is a jerk. I mean, he, he, he really is just Matt Porter. I mean, like, he, that's really all he is. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, all I am is a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. 
And so this is not some kind of reverse psychology for, for people to look at Matt. Oh, look at that guy. He's, he's putting himself down. He's, you know, he's saying, don't look at me. You know, he just wants to be like, no, that's not what it is. What I'm saying is this. It's like you do not understand the pressure that God's people can put on God's leaders and how it tears them apart. It absolutely tears them apart. I cannot bear the weight of your adoration. I cannot bear the weight of your, your every love and longing in life because I will fail you. And I promise you that I have. And the worst thing that could happen in this church is for you to idolize me or to idolize one of the elders and to somehow look at us as though, as, as though we're not just servants of Christ. I, I can't even tell you what a major issue this is in the local church. I was just reading an article just last night, and somebody quoted this guy, Frank Viola. I don't know anything about him. He might be a heretic, but he had some statistics, and so you need statistics in a sermon, right? So, but I, I think it came from George Barna is, is who he's quoting. And, and so he says this, out of 500,000 paid pastors serving in churches in the United States, he says 94% feel pressured to have an ideal family because of this, because here I am, I'm the guy at the top, my kids should be models of, uh, you know, perfect behavior, all right? I just want you to know I live in a trailer, not down by the river, but I live in a trailer, and my kids are hellions in that trailer, and so I don't have an ideal family. So if you look to me and you say, Matt, I hope that you have an ideal family. The only thing I can say is that, man, you are looking in the wrong place. I mean, I just don't have it. What I have is I have some crazy kids whom I love intensely. I love my kids a ton. And I do the very best that I can. And there are some people in this room that I should learn from. There's some people in this room that have done it well. You've got kids that follow Jesus, or <laughs> everything got screwed up in your life, <laughs> and, and you know what not to do, right? So there's people in this room that I could learn from. Here's the problem, is that when you look at a leader and you say, you should have an ideal family, I mean, this would take us forever if I go through each one of this, but 90% work uh, more than 46 hours a week, which I think... Uh, that, that sounds kind of crazy. I think 46 hours a week sounds like a small amount of work. Many of you are working 50 and 60 hours. I love to work, but I love my wife. I love my kids, and so I don't think that's a big deal. But there's this pressure that they feel. 81% say they have insufficient time with their spouses. I love the time that I have with my wife. We just went to Gilgamesh the other night, and it was fantastic just enjoying each other. I'm saying that to say this. I, I believe that we have a healthy church. And I don't feel this pressure, so I'm, I'm, I'm commending you in some ways. He says uh, 80% believe that pastoral ministry affects their family negatively. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. I have lots of close friends. 70% uh, have lower self-esteem than when they entered the ministry. I hope that my humility has grown, and I hope that my awareness of God's confidence that he can work through me is the reason why. I'm growing in humility. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. 50% feel unable to meet the demands of the job. 80% are discouraged or deal with depression. More than 40% report that they are suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, and unrealistic expectations. That's a big one. 
Pastor, you should have been there. And you're probably right. I probably forgot, but do you remember that I am not Jesus? I'm not Jesus. And sometimes people, people come to this point where they say, you know what, you should have been there. You should have been a, a part of this. And I try very hard to be a godly shepherd, somebody who's leading a, along with my fellow elders, my equals. But I'm going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. It's going to happen, but I, I'm, I'm going to try. 30% consider pastoral ministry an outright hazard to the family. 33% have seriously considered leaving their position in the past year. 40% of pastoral resignations are due to burnout. I have lots of friends in ministry. Not all of them are burned out, but a lot of them are. That is not the congregation's fault alone. The fault for all of that lies in this, that we are worldly people and we have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for our leaders. And we try to put them on a pedestal. We try to say, you're it, man. You're the real deal. And it sets us up for failure. And do you know what happens? I suffer. And then guess what else happens? You suffer. You suffer because you're under poor leadership. If that's the way that that's going. And so Paul is saying to us, he's saying, like, this stuff is happening in America. It's happening right here, and it's happening right now. And what's taking place is that churches are being torn apart because there's this, there's this idea that they need to be these perfect people, and they need to be incredible. And Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, some of you read that, and you just go, what the heck does that mean? And Paul is saying this. He's saying, like, you need to understand that I am nothing great. He's, he's said this repeatedly. I bring nothing to you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's talking about the mysteries. He's talking about the mysteries of God. And he's saying, how does this work? How, do, how does this act, actually work? And Paul's saying, I'm a servant, and I am to be a steward of what God has given me to give you. And the thing, I think the thing that I struggle with the most in our church is this. Is I, ju I just want you to get it. I, I just want you to get it. But you know what the bigger problem is? I don't always get it. I don't. I don't always get the gospel. I don't always get the understanding of like, what's, what's my gospel orientation like? How do, how do I relate with what Jesus has done for me on the cross? How is that? How do I communicate that in my family? And how do I go about doing this? I'm struggling with that to, to figure out how to make this better. And one of the biggest things that I, that I struggle with is this, is like my passion is for the whole church. I love you if you're old, and I love you if you're young. I just turned 40, so I'm with you. Some of you older folks here. But my passion is for all of you. But here's the thing that I see the most. I see guys who are drugged to church by their wives. And I see 
I see them as people who want to grow in some ways, but it's really because they're in a lot of pain. And, it, it, and it's because life just stinks right now. Like, like you, you've got this marriage where there's no sex or not as much as you want, and you don't have the success that you want, and, and, and there's, there's things that, are, that have gone awry in your life through your business or through your work or through something like that. And the thing that I, I want you to know so badly is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that speaks into your life. Single guys, like now is the time to, to get it and to understand it and to, to breathe it in, to breathe in the mysteries of God and to, say, to allow that to encapsulate your life and to just be all that you are and, like, and, and try to figure out how do I put that into practice in my life because I just want to tell you that we believe that Jesus Christ and him crucified is everything to us. It can't be me because I can't bear the weight of your approval or your disapproval. It has to be Jesus. It can't just be because you came and you liked my sermon. It can't, that can't be it. It has to be that the gospel gets in there. And when you go through life and stuff is falling apart all the time and 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 things happen, and, and, and you're just like, I don't know where that came from. It just came out of me, and it just, here's the problem. It's because that's the stuff that's in there. That's the stuff that's in your life. That's the stuff that's a part of you. And here's the solution. The mysteries of God. The solution isn't a better sermon. Good sermons are helpful that lead you to Jesus. And to plug Jesus into your life and allow you to be somebody who's motivated by the gospel. To love Jesus and to live that outwardly throughout your life. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is Ephesians uh, chapter 3. And I, I, I have taught on this so many times. Because it, it is, I mean, the book of Ephesians is like my, my life book. I don't have a life verse, I have a life book. But the book of Ephesians is, is so passionate. And what I, what I love about what Paul says here is that I feel like he explains the mysteries of God in a way that might get to your heart. That might get to your heart. I can tell you what to stop doing. I can tell you how to, how to start doing some other things. But I just want to tell you that real heart change does not take place until you get the mysteries of God inside of the gospel. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, he, he kind of comes down to this conclusion and he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And Paul says, like, I hope that you've heard how God like, came and like, rescued me and how he has uh, brought about this incredible understanding of what he's done 
In the context of his calling on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul has this vision of Jesus, sees Jesus, is called by Jesus, and he, he begins to walk with him and to teach for him and about him. And he is pouring this out, and he's saying how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles, people that didn't walk with God, people that don't, don't think that they deserve God, people that don't have any religious affiliation, the, the, the mystery is that those kinds of people are fellow heirs. These people can come into God's family. They can be fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through this gospel he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. When I was a brand new pastor, I wasn't even a pastor. Someone hired me. And let's be honest, they shouldn't have, okay? I had problems. I mean, we could go through all of the reasons why I shouldn't have been hired, but I got hired. And so here I am, I'm sitting at my house, I'm looking at a series of books, and I'm like, I haven't even preached a sermon yet. I haven't even scratched the surface of what it looks like to speak for God or anything like that. All I know is that I have this sense that I'm called, but I don't know how to. So I'm looking at these books that my dad had given me from his former ministry, and I was like looking through it, and I saw this one that said, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And I was like, I got to read that. So, here's the, so I start reading this, and there's sermons by this guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's this old guy. He's dead now. Very sad, but great book. And I began to just pour, it was about Ephesians. And I began to just go, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the depth in there is just like, oh my goodness, like there's another layer to it. Like there's, there's something else. You ever seen one of those little Russian eggs? And you're like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Oh. Keep going down and like, oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. With, with, with the gospel, it's like you start with a little egg, and then you go, oh, there's, a, there's another big egg, and then there's another big egg, and it's just, it just explodes in your mind. But here's the thing. You and I don't get it. And so our men so many times don't lead in their homes because they don't get the gospel. And if they do lead, they're leading as an authoritarian they're leading as somebody who demands things from their wife, demands things from their kids, or they do nothing. I've said all of that to explain one thing, the mysteries of God. The Apostle Paul says, I am not the point. You, you are fighting over a guy who is an under rower. I am a servant. And the thing that you're missing the most is that the gospel is the most important thing in your life. The gospel changes everything. It turns the world on its head. 
And you're, and you're going to see part of this in, ju in just a second. Back to 1 Corinthians. He said, moreover, it is required of stewards, in verse 2, we have not gotten very far. We just have a few minutes left of this sermon. Uh, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So he's saying, I, I'm a servant of the mysteries of God, but what's required of me is that I'm trustworthy. So this is a point that, that's, that, that's, that's on me. I got to be trustworthy. And he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. What did he just say there? If you're reading out of the NIV version of the Bible, which is a very good translation as well, he, it, he says, uh, I don't care whether I'm judged by you. Now, let's just say for a second that I were to say that. I don't care if you judge me. Let's just say I were to say that. I'm not, I'm not saying that to you, but, but let's just say, I, let's say that I was saying that. I don't care if you judge me. Remember, this is Paul, this is not me, but I don't care if you judge me, right? I, I can't. I can't care. What, what these people want is they want the apostles, they want their leaders to buckle under the pressure, and, and, and they want them to sense their judgment, they want to give their approval. They want, to, they, want to, they, they want them to be these incredible people. And he's saying, I don't care if you judge me. So he's saying, I don't care if people in the church judge me. I don't care if people outside of the church in a human court judge me. He says, I don't even judge myself. Did you see some of the, 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 the list of things that are there, that it, those statistics I read to you? What are they all an example of? Pressure from the outside. I feel judged. I feel judged. I feel judged. Pressure from the inside. I'm depressed. I don't measure up. I don't measure up. Paul says, I don't take pressure from the outside, and I don't take pressure from the inside. And that is... One of the main problems with all of us, isn't it? We give in to that pressure. In fact, we want other people to give in to our pressure. Our entire lives are made up of a series of reviews. You can go on Netflix. You can, you can uh, see, oh, how is this reviewed? How many stars does it have? Any movie that you watch, what's the review like? You can go on Facebook and say, I'm going to like that. I'm going to dislike that. I'm going to give them an angry face, right? Well, yeah, take that, right? I'm going to give you a thumbs up. I'm going to give you a thumbs down. You can go on Amazon and you can say, this product stinks. Or you can say, it's the greatest thing in the world. The polls for politicians over and over again, it's all about what do I think? How am I judging various things? Our entire world, our, our, our political system is based on the judgment of man. Remember I told you, this is an upside-down system inside of the church. It is not the way that you think it is. It is not based on judgment. 
It is not based on individual judgment. It is not your judgment. It is not my judgment of myself. It's not about the, the culture's judgment. It's about another kind of judgment. So the Apostle Paul essentially says this. He says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So what, what's Paul saying here? He's saying our, one of our biggest problems is this, is that we've taken that judgmental nature, the, that evaluative nature, that idea that everyone deserves a rating, I'm going to give you a tip. I'm not going to give you a tip. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think of you. I want to talk to customer service. By the way, we don't have a customer service department, so take that, right? Send us a sad face if you want, all right? I don't care. And Paul says, here's the problem. is that so many of us think that it's my judgment, that's, it, it is my approval that should drive this thing. It's my judgment, it's my approval that should drive the church. It's my judgment, it's my approval that should drive the way that my life goes, or the way that my work goes, or the way that my friendships go. It's my judgment, it's my approval. Do you know this? That inside of those statements, inside of those feelings, even though you, you may not even know that you feel that way, is a deep, deep sense of superiority and authority. It's a belief that somehow I am superior to everyone else and to everyone else's opinion. It's somehow that I am the authority figure here. And one of the most difficult things for people to get and for people to understand. And one of the reasons why our guys do not get it, and there's girls that don't get it too, but I'm, I'm talking to our men right now. I'm, one of the reasons why that happens is because of this, because you believe that you're the judge. You believe that you're your own authority. You believe that somehow you hold the keys to all judgment, that this is what I should have in my life. And that's why I have to work so much and not spend time with my wife and not spend time with my kids and not spend time in the Word and not listen to God's Word and not go to church and be a part of God's family. You believe that you're the authority. And Paul, Paul is saying this. He's saying, like, everybody believes that their opinion matters the most. And he's saying, here's what you don't get. Is that it is not your judgment that matters. I care very little whether you judge me. Or whether any human court judges me. Or whether I even judge myself. What I care about is I care about God's judgment. You know what their problem was? They had the wrong timing for their judgment. They put themselves in the authority position. 
Did you know that you and I can do that? When divisive language begins to happen about the leaders in your church, when divisive things begin to happen in the midst of your friendships and in your family, there is always a group of people behind that that have an authority complex, and they believe that their judgment matters most. What's in that is this. It's a lack of submission. This, this idea of submission is so detestable to our culture. The idea of question authority used to be on bumper stickers. I was reading a commentator who said, you don't see that anymore because that is the cultural norm. We always question authority. Why would we not, right? But, but, this, is, but this is our thing. We, we do not submit to anyone. We say that I am the one who is in charge of my destiny. I am the one who gets to determine these things. And it is prideful from the very beginning. Verse 6 says this, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Paul is saying this. This divisive stuff is happening in the context of your local gathering. Because people from the outside are bringing that stuff inside. Sinners are bringing this stuff inside. That's you and me, right? We're bringing this stuff inside, and he's saying, I'm, I'm, I've applied these things to me and Apollos. I've used me and Apollos as an example. Apollos is another teacher in their midst. And so he's saying, I'm applying it to us so that you would understand that you should not go beyond what is written. And what does he mean by that? He's saying this, you believe that you're an authority, and that's why you get to make these judgments. But I'm telling you that it is not up to you, but it is up to what is written. And he's referring to the scriptures. So deeply rooted in, in this is an absolute submission to not question the authority of God that's found in the scriptures. And yet, there are many of us here who say, I don't care what the scriptures say. I'll try to change what they say. I'll try to minimize it. Or I just flat out won't read my Bible and claim some kind of Christian affiliation. And so you're just claiming ignorance. And Paul is saying, I am trying to train you to not go beyond what is written. He's saying, there is a standard and you keep adding to it. There is a standard and you keep adding these human things into that. And so what it comes down to is this, is that all of us, to some degree or another, make up our minds about whether I'm going to listen, whether I'm going to obey what the scriptures have to say. Let me talk to the guys again. Are you so arrogant and prideful that you refuse to let God speak into your life? Do you think you've done so well with your life and have, everything is so perfect that somehow you are really good at leading your life? 
you may have had some success, but that success is leading you to pride. Or you may have had some failures, but that failure is leading you further into failure as you think pridefully, I just need to stick with what I'm doing. That's our problem, guys. It's that we, we have the wrong timing. We think that somehow my judgment is greater than God's judgment, which is coming. We think that somehow, like, I, I, I'm writing the book as to what should be and what shouldn't be. And then thirdly, he says this, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. He goes on to say, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, these people are like standing up against each other like, oh, uh, I, I know what's up. I know how things should go. I know how this church should be run. And they're looking down on other people and they're saying, you know what? You, you don't really have it all together. You don't really know what you're talking about. You don't really know what you're doing. And what Paul is communicating to these people in this time is he's saying, you not only have the wrong timing, you not only uh, have the wrong standard, but you have the wrong motives, which is pride and arrogance. Thinking that somehow you've got this thing locked down, somehow you've got it figured out. And so what is the answer to that? It is an affirmation of this. There is only one judge. You can say whatever you want, and I mean that. You can say whatever you want. You can make judgments in your mind, but there is only one judge. He will judge the living and the dead, and you will be accountable for the decisions that you make. You can try to squirm out of that. But I'm just telling you that there is one judge. And you are not it. And I am not it. So you're recognizing that there is a judge. And that should have with it some weight that says, if there is a real judge over all things, if, if I try to be God all the time and I, I, just, I try to make all these judgments and my life is swerving all over the road, then why do I think that I should be that judge? And secondly, if I'm not that judge, what does the real judge say about me? What does he say about how I've screwed up my life, how I've injured other people, how I consistently blow it over and over and over again? What does he say about me? Will you stand in authority and judgment over God and say, oh, he would never judge me? That is not the God of the universe. That is a God of your own making that dwells in your mind. The real judge, the true judge, is the one who brings conviction. And the greatest thing that God can do for you is to, to see your heart break right in the areas where you just go, I am broken in this area. 
And in fact, if you were to open up other areas of my life, you would see brokenness. And you would see brokenness. And do you know what should be on that? Is that, like, there's a judge. There is a judge. He will judge me, the living and the dead. And what am I going to do when that judge comes to me? What am I going to do when that judge asks me for an explanation of why I decided to be my own God and why I decided to create division in my family, to create division in my church, to create division in my workplace? What am I going to say? And that's the question. What are you going to say? The God of the universe comes to you and says, this has ultimate eternal implications. Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Remember what Paul said in the beginning? He said, I'm a steward. I'm just a servant. But the thing that I'm bringing to you is I'm bringing you the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. And what is the mystery of God? It's that you know that there's a righteous judge and you can't fix yourself and that there is one who can. The unsearchable riches of Christ found in Jesus. And what is that? It's that when he went to the cross, he saw all your screw-ups. God sees all of time concurrently. It's not just a historical story. It's a story now. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're dealing with. God knows what's going on in your life. If you would just admit it, that he is the righteous judge. He's hanging on a cross and he's looking at you and he's saying, will you stand in judgment over me? Or will you submit to my authority in your life? And see your life change? Do you stand in judgment over people around you? Do you allow culture to judge the way that you live your life and you go along with what the culture says? Do you beat yourself up and judge yourself? There's one righteous judge. And he has come as the Savior. He went to the cross. He bled out for you. He suffered. He died he went to the grave, and he is resurrected today, and it is only through him that you will have life. Guys, your family's going to suffer until you get that. Ladies, you are going to be constantly dependent on this guy if you do not get this. You'll constantly be looking to him to be your savior. Jesus is your only savior. Let's pray. Oh God, you know um, my desire that this church would get this. That God, that we would not suffer from the infighting that happens in so many churches, but God, that we would be people who love you so much that it has changed our relationships with one another. 
and changed our relationships within our, our families and all throughout our city. Lord God, would you, would you show us how to move forward in our lives? Lord, there's so many people who are just, they're just struggling. They're struggling to understand. And God, we know that you're the only one that can change hearts. We know that you're the only one that can call us to conviction over our sin. To know that you're the righteous judge and that we are not. That you are going to be the one who will judge the living and the dead. And so, Lord, we're praying that this mystery of your gospel would become real to us. Lord Jesus, there are people in this room that have they, they've let themselves off the hook so many times, and they've, and they've just said, yeah, that doesn't matter. This, God doesn't care about that. But God, you do care. You are the righteous judge, but you've made a way out of that sin. And, and God, I just I pray that you would just allow us to have hearts of humility that say, I need Jesus in every aspect of my life, and I need him to help me overcome this sin, to help me overcome my judgmental nature, to help me overcome what it is that I'm suffering from. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.